all he does is catch the football. That's, that is beautiful. That's why I came to West Virginia, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead in Arizona. This is a totally energized Heinz Field, the power of the Renegade song. The backyard brawl, man, against Pitt. Look at that. Oh, there's Rod Wolfley. Wow! They came after Donovan McNabb, went after him. They played to win the game. Everybody's going bonkers, even the referees. Oh, those, those look like some sticky gloves right there. We talk about 50-50. Right now it's 50-50. Who's going to get it? Game came with cover zero. Man across the board. Pick up a flag because, hey, and then with the Renegade song, even flags don't count. They're going to get an Italian army behind them right there, just like Franco Harris. My goodness, that is pure guts. Give me a pepperoni roll, man. Hello. And welcome to the Three Wolves of Football, the boys from Orchard Park, the Outsiders. I'm the Wolfman, Dale Wolfley, and I'm here with my brothers, Craig Derry, who's the eldest. Yep, how are you? Doing good tonight? Doing good, brother. Doing uh, good. Beautiful. And of course, our middle brother, uh, Ronnie Paul, Pony Boy. Always ready out there in Phoenix. Oh, I just think it's because you're you're a little bit more awake than than us. Too. We're usually a little bit more tired here because it's later in the day. But you're always fired up. You're always ready to go. Uh, like the way you've been all your life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of, uh, we've got to talk about shopping for Christmas real quick. I just had a question because I really don't know this. Derek, who does the shopping in your family obviously faith but do you actually get out there and spend some time picking out presents no i don't i mean it's like terrible you know what i mean you got kids i got kids at home here you know so the good lady faith takes care of all that because during the football season i'm sorry i'm in lockdown mode you know you're just going at it one after another after another and it just puts you in a situation where it's every day is like i'm putting out fires that's what i do you know, I'm a walking dumpster fire. You're putting them out or starting them? I don't, I don't know. Well, that's sometimes that's to be yet to be determined. You know, very good. And Pony Boy, uh, let me guess, uh, you're going to use the same excuse as football. You know exactly what I'm talking. Yes, you know exactly what the answer is right now. Are you kidding me? I'm not walking around and and shopping. If you actually see me at a mall, if you actually see me walking around and shopping. That can only mean one thing and one thing only, and that is I am shopping for the Warrior Queen, okay? And you know what? Um, After being married for 22 years to the beautiful Miss Stephanie, can I just tell you right now that it's one of the most dreaded times of the year (laughs) is when I'm out there trying to shop for stuff. I, you know, I mean, honestly... um, it's it gets tougher and tougher every year to pick that one special thing for her that she's gonna love, right? Because she's she doesn't she's one of these women that um, she's not into jewelry, she's not into clothes, right? She's not into a lot of this stuff, and because of it, um, I don't know what to get her. You know what I mean? I really don't. Um, she's got everything. <laughs> 
Well, I'll tell you one thing. She's got a good sense of humor because she married you. So. Yeah, you got uh, that right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, listen, brothers. Uh, unfortunately, this week, a couple days ago, something uh, tough did happen, and that was the passing of head coach Mike Leach, you know, the inner pirate head coach, the off-the-wall the outstanding, a guy who made history in the game. And, you know, Pony Boy, is there anything you can, that you, you can say that reminds you of that? Because I know Cliff Kingsbury uh, is, comes from his coaching tree. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury credits Mike Leach for everything that Cliff has been able to do offensively. And whether or not you think he's a good head coach or not, the one thing that most people will tell you without batting an eyeball is that Cliff Kingsbury is a genius when it comes to offensive football. Um, I believe he's incredibly smart. The guy's incredibly smart and he's humble, and that's why I love Cliff. And oddly enough, believe it or not, Mike Leach also had a modicum of humility about himself, and a lot of people don't truly understand that. Yes, he was incredibly smart. Yes, he had a lot of bravado. Yes, he knew how to seize the moment, no doubt about it. But um, I'll never forget talking to Coach Leach, um, myself and Doug Franz with the Doug and Wolf Show. You guys know that we actually had a relationship with a guy, built um, a relationship with Coach Leach, brought him on a number of years in a row consecutively, and had um, some serious conversations with him. And um, I enjoyed it so much. I really did. Uh, yes, the bravado was there. Yes, he says some of, some of the most off-the-wall things you could possibly imagine. But if you visit the guy, um, he had some humility about him. I'll never forget saying to him, um, how do you think the air raid, when they hired Cliff Kingsbury, when you when the Cardinals hired him, we asked Mike Leach, we had him on soon after he was hired, and we asked him how he thought the air raid would go in the NFL. And Mike Leach looked up, and he thought for a minute, and he said, I really don't know, mm-hmm. but I can tell you, I'm going to be in the front row watching it. So <laughs> it wasn't like he was dogmatic about it, and I really appreciated that about Absolutely. Him. No, that, that's a... <laughs> Fantastic uh, observation. You know something? You know, guys, the one thing you got to remember is these head coaches, the tremendous strain they're under, you know, at all levels. And you both have had coaching experience in your background. You know, and I know Mike Mike Tomlin, I remember one time, you know, somebody asked him about, you know, health and this and that. And he says, I just tell my wife, keep that insurance policy paid up. You know, I mean, (laughs) these guys, they put in huge hours. Huge hours, man. And, you know, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a situation where it's, it's a tough business and you take a lot of that stress home with you and everything else. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I know I'm not cut out for head coaching material. That's for sure. Well, that's an interesting point. And let me tell you something, Pony, you know a little bit about this, but when you're the head coach of a junior college team, you were talking about fires, or put out fires every day. There's a lot of fires, a lot of stress, but junior college. Straight up, and there, there's no doubt about it. Uh, there is, and you know, the one story that I can remember, Dana Hogerson uh, told me when that he told me was there's a kid that Mike Leach had that was just not good enough to play at that level of quarterback, 
And he said to the, the, this kid, he goes, hey, listen, you know what? I like you a lot. You're not going to play for me ever. And he said, ever. And he says, but I want you to come back as a student assistant and help me out. And the kid got mad and he left and thought about it, came back the next day or two. And he said, I'll take that job. You know who that guy was? Lincoln Riley. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Lincoln Riley, uh, young offensive coach. Just he's another Cliff Kingsbury, and he's done, he's done doing some great things, done some great things, and we all know what his pedigree is. So again, Mike Leach. Uh, I, I must say, I have a couple other stories about him, but we don't have the time here for. It. But I do respect him, and I, I I'm not entirely that way with him as my philosophies. But there's some things I certainly would adapt as he did change the game of football. And condolences to his family. I mean, yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a loss in the coaching, uh, you know, family tree. Uh, there's just uh, you know somebody's hurting tonight, and that's that's a shame. Yeah, I actually got a lot of people. All right, so we are going to move on, and this is uh, going to move on to something that is. Should I do it as a mulligan? And it's for me. I'm just going to say it right out. It should be. I'm going to say this. I'm going to stand by this because actually the family brought this up. And, you know, this is quite a few years ago uh, when I was on the, the Mountaineer Game Day show and I would come out with a bit or something. But I think WVU and the time that it's having right now could use a little more of Wolfman. Yeah. <laughs> Wolfman's cousin, Jack. Yeah, that's right. Wolfman Jack. Can you dig it? The old silver fox and those Kansas State Wildcats coming to town. You gotta go help. You gotta take them. And you gotta take more than their nine lives. This is Big 12 home opener. You know what I'm saying. Again, let me tell you something. I'm a wolfman. Kind of a dog lover. I don't like those cats. <laughs> I will do anything for a laugh. Okay. Wait a minute. First of all, how long did that take you to actually dress up like that? That's number one. Not long. It was pretty much smeared. Okay. It was just <laughs> smeared on right there. How much did it take you to get the stuff off you? <laughs> a, little, a little bit longer. Yeah, right. I can <laughs> only me. imagine. And number three, understand this. Anybody who's watching right now, I don't care where you are. Anybody who's watching this right now. You're consuming this. Just understand that our grandfather was a violinist in vaudeville. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> so the vaudeville gene has been passed down in the Wolfley family. Right. Jerry, you got anything to say about that? I'm, I'm speechless. Just speechless <laughs> on that one. Well, you know what? I've been busted on you guys, so I want an equal opportunity and, and to show you good faith. But I tell you. You know, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesse the Body Ventura. There you go. There's there's a comparison. There's a comparison. Just remember, it's Wolfman Jack, though. I knew Jesse. I knew Jesse. Yeah. He was the color commentator up for the Vikings when I was with the Vikings. Wow. You know, you, you did an, a pretty good impression of Jesse the Body Ventura. Yeah, it was pretty much anybody in wrestling. I was trying to get to go there. The, yeah, I know. The wrestling. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so we're going to move on. Now, this is not going to make you happy. Uh, it, it certainly did not make me. And, uh, you know, honestly, when it comes to analytics, uh, you know, I'm not sure how this works out, 
But what you see here is the metrics of analytics that ESPN saying that TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick are overrated. How's that for analytics? You know, I think uh, it's kind of like my math skills. I flunked math twice, you know. Um, I think their analytics are flunking. Look, there's no way in the world that you could possibly um, say that those guys, you know, are overrated. T.J. Watt is suffering from a, a the, the, the injury that he's had at the beginning of the year. He's, you know, he had a knee, he got operated on, he had his pec that he tore. Um, but Mink has still been playing some great football and has been playing great football. And I'm sorry, I just totally disagree. You know, there's there's those metrics and analytics, they're kind of funny. You know, it's kind of like uh, – who, who was the president said, you know, there's there's lies, there's dang lies, and then there's statistics. <laughs> and and yeah, I, I can't conceive of how you could possibly in any way, shape, or form say that those two are overrated. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I agree with you 100%. The analytics and the numbers today, it's so dangerous. It, it really is. And when I say that, I'm talking about within the context, of course, of playing the game of football. So I don't want to make it sound like it's life or death in any way, shape, or form. But the fact that you've got a lot of head coaches and a lot of general managers, not all by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of them who rely heavily on those analytics to make decisions in football games, um, to make decisions in who they hire as well, I, I think you really have got to be careful on that because there's never going to be a substitute, especially in a National Football League game. There's never going to be a substitute for reading the room, if you know what I mean. Right. Like, should I really go for this fourth and half a yard? Should I go for it on our own 30-yard line when we're up by three points or down by three points and it's still early? And the, should I really go for it right now? Momentum is a real thing. You've got to be able to read the room and not just the number. And where the number may happen in a game is all the difference in the world to me. You know, the thing that the most successful coaches, in my most humble opinion, are the ones that that they, they will do the analytics to a degree, but they still coach with their gut. Their gut instinct. Now, man, you cannot dissuade them. You know, Chuck Noble was one of those guys that if he believed in what he was about to do or the call or any anything like that, you couldn't dissuade him. Even to the point when in 1980, when we were playing the Browns at Three Rivers Stadium, and we had the ball on the two-yard line. We ran sprint right pick three times in a row. Three times in a row. And the Browns all knew it was coming. Everybody in the stands knew it was coming. Bradshaw, after the second time, went to the sidelines on a timeout to go to t- talk to Chuck to try to talk him out of running it three times in a row. And, of course, sprint right pick is, you know, they had Swan and Stallworth doing a little sort of, you know, a little NASCAR rubbing out there, bumping and rubbing. But he believed in that so much. And the third time, we scored the touchdown and we won the game simply because you couldn't dissuade Chuck. And everybody knew it was coming. The Browns were screaming on their from their side of the ball, it's sprint right pick again. But Chuck's whole thing was, you may know it's coming, but can you stop us? I think of this, and you rely on analytics, it takes your stones away as your head coach. It really does. You rely on others. You rely on the the, the 
quotient right there to, to figure it out for you when really as a head coach, it's your decision. Right. I remember when I'm saying, listen, it's my decision as a head coach at Phoenix College, a junior college. And the one thing I'm going to say about this to anyone who's ever becomes a head coach, and I told Anthony Beck this uh, a couple of weeks ago, just remember this one thing. Everybody wants to tell you what you should do. Everybody says, let's throw the ball here. Let's run the ball here. Let's tackle. Let's go zone on defense. Let's blitz on defense. Everybody's going to come at you. But remember this. There's only a one and loss record for one person, and that's the head coach. And you better make your own decision, because that's on your record. That's on your name as the head coach. The OC, no, sorry, defensive coordinator, any of the coaches, players, it doesn't matter. It only goes on the head coach's name, so you better make your decisions because that's what you want to do. That's well said, Soda Pop. You know, I'm, I really believe that. But now let's go ahead and move on to something that's more recent times, and that is the NIL. And regardless of how you feel about it, it is here to stay. But what extreme is it going to go to? And right here, you're going to see the high school player, Jurian Dickey. He's a five-star wide receiver. He's going to either choose Tennessee, Oregon, or Penn State based on the sales of that uh, fan bases, NIL trading cards of him. So if Oregon pay, buys more cards, he's going to go to Oregon and, or Penn State or Tennessee. Where have we gone? I mean, this has got to be a good kid. It's just that he's trying to get money opportunities. I understand. But why are we allowing this to happen to one of the greatest games of college ball? There's the NFL, but college football is still passionately loved by millions. And where's it, where's it going? You know, I look at it, Soda Pop, and um, I don't know where it's going. I, I think the NIL is the ruination of college football. I, I do. Um, I, I, there's no governing body either that really is monitoring what it's doing to kids. That's what drives me crazy. How many kids might get a pile of money dumped in their lap and, oh, I don't know, a pile of money plus true freedom in college for maybe the first time <laughs> in your life? Could anything go badly there? Do you see any possibility of something bad actually happening to a kid? I see a lot of danger involved in that. That's that's one of my concerns. But more than anything else, guys, I, I have to tell you that um, the elitism drives me nuts. I'm just going to say it. It's an elite mentality to sit there and say, you getting a scholarship, room, books, board, you getting your tuition paid for, none of it matters. There's no value that is there. Guys, we've talked about this a little bit once again before. And as sons of truck, a truck driver, that, that's, that college scholarship meant so much to us. It's an elite mentality that says that isn't enough. That isn't enough that you're giving a kid a free education, that you're, you're paying for his books, his tuition, his room, his board. You're paying for it all, even a stipend, which I'm all for. Give the kids some spending money, right? Give them a couple of grand every semester to go ahead and actually have some cash in his pocket. We never had that luxury. That much I do know. So, you know, I... It's just, it's awful to me that um, this elite mentality has taken over college football 
And can I just say about this kid right here, what he's doing based on the context and the roles, it's sheer brilliance. <laughs> I can't believe anybody hasn't thought of that already. Yeah. You know, I think it's coming. And Terry, let me ask you this. What about, you know, the, the kids are saying, well, you know, uh, the schools are all making millions and millions and millions off our name and, and we're not getting our piece. What's your response to that? You know, my, my whole thing is I agree with Ronnie, you know, the stipend. Look, some of this stuff is getting so out of control. When you start to have press conferences to announce where you're going to school uh, in high school, um, you got agents now that are contacting high school kids uh, because, you know, the, this is all part of the, the, the process of, you know, marketing yourself and everything. These kids, I mean, you want to talk about having a sense of entitlement? You're, just, you're, you're running rampant and giving a lot of ammo to a lot of young people, uh, being able to do things that they normally, you know, you might not be able to do. You might not go out there and buy a, a, a nice car or that, something like that, and have some issues with it, like Ronnie was saying. You got money, all this money coming in, and you're in college, and I know, I know how stupid I got at times in college, all right? Anybody here, you know... <laughs> didn't okay yeah all right all three of us can say yeah we all got stupid well it still happens today is what i'm saying so the fact of the matter is i disagree with all this i think they could have come up with a stipend i think they could do something like west point does where they put aside money each year that you're there and in you at the end when you graduate you have access to that money you know Mm. um yeah. To me, there's ways to go about this in a much healthier way than marketing yourself like a professional. And to me, I, yeah, that, that kid, that's a brilliant move. But again, it's just another slippery step on, on the slope of uh, the apocalypse of college football. And let me just say this. When you think uh, about that, you're going to, with the, the way the rookie salary cap is, there'll be some guys that won't stay another year or two in college because they're making more money in college than the rookie salary cap. I mean, there's there's truth behind that. Uh, that that's true, have, there, there's some guys that are making millions. And, and how's that offensive lineman that's, you know, going ahead and he's making 10 grand for the, for the year? And this guy's making millions. He's like, oh, oh I don't know. I'm, I'm taking the abuse, protecting this guy. It's, somewhere it's got to change. Someone's got to come in. Some organization, whether it be the government, I don't know. Something's got to just regulate it. Just Un- regulate. Yeah, unfortunately, so to pop to that point right there, I think something tragic is truly going to have to happen mm. for there to be any eyes that would be opened on that. It was a horrible idea to begin with to me, and um, they got to do something about it. All right. You know, you know when it's really going to get their attention is when the IRS is looking for their handout. No, they better make sure they got, got some good. You uh, got to pay taxes, years. you know. Yeah, no, and trust me, they're all about it. But we're we going to move ahead out because we could talk about that all night, and we probably will be talking about it again at some time. Uh, I will say this: this is going to bring a smile to you, Derry, and to you, Pony Boy, the old fullback trap. This is Navy here against Army, but watch the pulling right to the fullback. Wow, look at this. It's an actual trap, and the fullback hits the hole. No shotgun, no delay, fast-hitting option. It's pow, pow, 
pow, pow. And that's what it is. Mm. And if you could go ahead and put that back in the game today, I'm not sure defenders, and I'm talking about the DCs, especially the young ones, would know how to defend it. Derry. You know what I love about that's the basic essence of the Chuck Knoll trapping system. That's the two trap. I've run that so many times in so many stadiums across the country. Yeah. You know, and you're hitting you're you're hitting cars dressed as people out there. You know what I mean? That's what you you T-bone them. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things that it's a teeth rattler. But the, the fact is, the guy that ran it the best that I've ever seen was a guy I was with just last night. We were doing a um, a show out at uh, you know the Market District, a, a store with uh, Pat Fryermuth, who's a tight end for the Steelers. But Franco Harris, the legendary Franco Harris, came and sat in, and nobody ran a two trap like he ran a two trap. He was absolutely sensational. He'd hit that just a flying like that kid did. And I got to tell you something: there was great joy in running that trap, you know, because it was a lot of fun springing Franco. Yeah, and for me, can I also say, too, it just it felt so good to actually see a fullback in the eye formation <laughs> in, a, in a three-point stance. That is 10-11 trap to me. 10-11 yep. trap, um, Don Nalen and the West Virginia, West by God, Virginia Mountaineers. That's what we ran. We ran a lot of 10-11 and 11 trap right there. 10, of course, to the right, 11 to the left. Um it just it brings back memories, and I think you're right, Soda Pop. If they brought that back specifically for a game, just a game or two, man, you would shock people. They wouldn't know how to defend it, and you'd probably gain an awful lot of yards on that play. You know, even if you think about how defensive coordinators, I told you about Oklahoma, 119 in the country against the run, but top 10 in the, in the tackles for losses, right? But because they're doing all these stunts that you would normally you would see in the passing game, but because they can't cover all the gaps when they're moving. But even if they were to do that, you could you you teach your uh, offensive lineman to, if they're going down inside, you take them with you, and then you just kick out the next level or to the backer. I mean, it's just that simple in today's game. You would just say, just continue your path until you hit someone inside out, and that trap would be there. They don't know. I mean, everything's from the gun, man. And either they go under center, they're, they're usually going. You know, quarterback sneak, I guess. Or uh, tackle so, zone. Uh, yeah, tackle zone. But, I mean, it would just be so awesome for someone. I think Michigan, you know, it, it kind of does that a little bit. But I, maybe, obviously, right there. So, that's a little bit old school. But I loved it, and I just couldn't wait to talk about it. Let's Tom Bradley on the show uh, for Wolfman's Call this week. And, obviously, you know, Craig, with uh, Scrap, he's very old school. And he said there's nothing like an offensive line that moves people. Yeah. The zone stuff now. And I, my one story for the trap, because I ran 10-11 trap a lot too, Donald. And I will say that when I pulled him, I'll never forget this defensive lineman. I, you know, I looked right in his eyes, and he saw me coming. But I just, I didn't buy something. But I just whacked him and just nailed him on his back. He's like, oh, I didn't see you coming. I said, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Oh, <laughs> you saw me coming. There's nothing like the trap. And, Derry, I watched you run it for a decade. And, Pony, I watched you run it for at least four years at West Virginia. And it's an underrated, underrated play that hits so fast. And it's like a dive. Same thing. I like your story right there. A little stank coming from the youngest Wolfley. I like that. Yes, you did. 
right. Okay, so let's continue on here. I almost lost my place, but this was really fantastic. Detroit Lions. And you probably know Penny Sewell. He he went in motion and he got the pass. This is third and seven. You gotta watch this because what I really want to show you is what how the broadcasters reacted to it. Minutes remaining. Goff throws. Wow. Panay Sewell, the, the right tackle, makes the catch. And is Sewell. Goff to throw. Wants to throw it to Sewell. Oh, he caught it. Yes. Sewell on the first down. Oh, yes. the big man dives down to the 31-yard line. Oh, that is beautiful. Ten yards. Panay Sewell with the grab. First down, Detroit Lions. Ben Johnson, you are my hero. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the reason, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because you guys are in there. I've been in the booth too as well. Uh, but you guys are there every week now, and there's the excitement that they had. There was a joy just to watch that because it was such a great play. Ben Johnson's an OC man, really. Third and seven, one forty-one. You're only up by a touchdown. That's a critical time, and they're throwing to the tackle. Uh, I mean, it was going in motion. Just huge amount of confidence in that. But what joy, and Pony Boy, I want to start with you, that you can make calls like that in the booth and bringing it to the fan base. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. It is. It's it's such an honor to be able to do it. Um, but it's got to be like anything else. It's got to be organic. You know, it, it is something that um, many people listen to me and think that I'm putting it on. I'm putting it on. And I should be offended by that, that they think I'm actually putting it on. But I'm not. It's they just don't understand how jacked up you can get when you play the game of football. One of the best things about it is when I stick that headset on, um, I don't look like this anymore. I'm not 60 years old anymore. I put that headset on and I start talking about the blood sport. I start talking about the game that we all love so much. I don't look like this. Suddenly I'm 24 with 8% body fat. And I will bury you if you know what I mean. And it's the excitement of the game. And right there, you could hear it from the announcers with Panay Sewell just seeing the big man actually go and then catch the ball into the flat. It's something unexpected. It's organic. And that's what came through on that call. That's it. It's the joy of football. You can't do uh, anything – what you do on Sunday would get you in trouble on Monday. I mean, that's the bottom line of it. We celebrate the sport. We celebrate the men who play this great game because it's an opportunity to enjoy and, and get rid of all the things that, that uh, confound you during the week. You know, one of the beautiful things that I've experienced was uh, talking to a steel worker from the 70s here in Pittsburgh. And in the 70s, the steel industry was crashing. People were leaving town. Kids were leaving town. You know, but I remember I was talking to this one steel worker and the guy said to me, and he, 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 the guy had a grip of steel and he was in his 70s, you know. And he gripped my hand. He says, you know, he says, I didn't know if I could put food on the table uh, the coming week, but I had my three hours of just watching Steelers and it took me out of the misery of, of what was going on in my life at that point in time. And that was the bonding of the steel workers with the Pittsburgh Steelers back then. And it's the sheer joy of this great sport. It's a it's a wonderful thing. So like you talk about the blood sport. Yeah, it is. You know, but it it's it's something that is you can release 
you know, all your aggression and go and just have a ball doing it. And it's, yeah, you know, I, I always feel like when I'm in there and I have the opportunity to talk about this game that all three of us love so much and so many millions more do have, do, and will in the future. And there's something that's really there. There's just, It's a bonding. It's something, there's an excitement to it. I think it just goes back to, you know, really our primal nature, man. And, and sure. it hits some kind of chord in there. And it's really exciting. But it is an honor. It is an honor to be able to bring that to the fan base. Uh, it's something special. Not everybody gets experience in that. Uh, very few do. So I just wanted to make sure you're – and that, of course, was Dan Miller with the Lions, uh, the play-by-play, and Lomas Brown. And of Oh, course, Lomas the, is such a cool dude. All right. Yeah. Well, let me just – let me jump in. I'm sorry I didn't mean to jump in here, Dale. But the best part is watching a fat guy do something like that. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's what every hog dreams of, catching that one TD pass, right? Or, or – right. You know, you, you just think, oh, I could be the hero one time. Get a first down. Get a touchdown, you know? I mean, one one time when we are playing, I, there was a fumble into the end zone. And I stepped on John Colvin, pushed Mike Webster down to get to that ball. I got speared in the back. And Dad Gummett, Randy Grossman jumped off sides. And they brought the touchdown back. I'd have been a hero. <laughs> you were this close. You were this close. It was that close, man. Uh, all right. Well, hey, you know, here's something that's close, and, and I want you to watch this. I'm not sure who this guy is. I found this video, but the video is so crazy that I had to show it. It's about hustle, and there's only one way one way to watch it, and that's to watch it and to describe it. You can see here. I think this is Lloyd Summerall of Florida Gators, number 99. But watch him just run and give all out. This is hustle. I mean, he passes the running back with the ball here and goes ahead. Now, he may have jumped off sides there. I'm not sure. But that don't let that take away from the point of you watching him hustle. And if you want to know where you rate, uh, do you play to the whistle? Uh, if you want to know where you rate, like, are you as good as others that hustle? Because a lot of people are a little self-denial about where they, how they go to the whistle. Even when they watch themselves in the film, they kind of have something that's there. That right there shows you that's hustle. Pony boy. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that soda pop. You know, for a long time, I've always said it. If you watched a player from the snap to the whistle on every play, by the end of the game, you'll be able to make some conclusions about what that person is all about. And I think you could see it right there. But once again, um, Lawrence Taylor, I think I've told you this story before. Lawrence Taylor used to rush from the left defensive end, right? Well, actually, the right defensive end from the defensive side, but over the left tackle. Here comes LT, LT, LT. There was one play, LT went ahead, rushed around the corner, got the edge against Louis Sharp. Neil Lomax threw the ball on a five route across the field. Okay, to the far side, the wide side of the field, ran the five route to Roy Jetstream Green, threw the ball to him, 15-yard out down the field. LT just kept running all the way and made the tackle. <laughs> I mean, you know, that now that was when LT was younger. <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, you know what? Great football players make great plays, and that was a great play. You know, the important thing was always block to the whistle. Now there were some guys that blocked to the echo of the whistle. <laughs> and then it became, you know, block to the echo of the whistle in the next valley over. <laughs> you know, that's when it got a little chippy. But that was the essence of what being an offensive lineman is all about, is that effort to the whistle 
and for any player out there, it's like you said, watch him snap to whistle, you know, and you'll know what that guy's like, what he's about, yep. because it all comes out. It's like Mike Tomlin always says, you are what you put on the tape, you yep. know, and that's it. Excellent. I'll tell you what, I say this as a former coach and you can not only tell the character of the player and all that, I totally agree with you. And I also believe about my face mastery, but that's besides the point. But <laughs> the, the thing is, is that when you watch that, if you can say that you hustle like that and you can admit that or not admit that, that's a good way to say, say this is how you need to go. It's a great teacher. A great yeah. teacher. And yeah. talking about toughness, this next one, Mike White of the Jets took a hit from Milano, the linebacker. And, well, you can watch it. You can see him coming in here, just taking the hit. Wide open, showed a great hit. I mean, great play by Milano. Nothing dirty whatsoever in it. But I, you got to give kudos to Mike White. Not only did he get pulled out there, he went for x-rays. X-rays are okay. Came back in. Just got hammered and hammered again physically. After the game, he had to go to the hospital and check for internal injuries. I believe he's okay, thank the Lord. But, you know, honestly, going back to old school, you know, and, and toughness, you know, Daria, I think that's a great example of a guy that's truly tough and can hold respect in that locker room. You better believe that dude is respected. I mean, that's the way to stand up and you take let's, – let's face it. You know, I mean, first of all, you sit there and you, you're telling your offensive line, hey, hello, I could use a little help here. Uh, you know, when you, when you have somebody flashing by you, please pick them up. But the fact of the matter was he took those hits and didn't flinch. He delivered the ball. That's a lot – I give him a lot of respect, man. And the fact that he had to go out and then come back in, that's uh, that's difficult. But you know what? That's the way the game is played. Are you telling me they did not throw the flag on that? They did not flag? <laughs> no. Um, I'm with you on Milano. I think he's a great football player. Absolutely. I absolutely love watching him play. Um, that was a clean hit. I'm being a little facetious because they throw a flag on everything now when the quarterback gets way late and gets knocked down hard, something I cannot tolerate in the game. I, I'm sorry. I, I know we need to protect our quarterbacks to some degree. I get that. Yet yeah, it's never a safe game. It, it, it's not. It's not ever going to be a safe game. And um, you know, and I, I think they protect quarterbacks too much. Yeah. Well, they probably would have thrown a flag if that was Tom Brady. Seriously. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt. Well, yeah. there's an er- hierarchy of, of players that are a little bit more given, a little more gratis. If you understand yeah. what I'm saying, you know, and Tom Brady's one of them. You know, what I mean. Of course, you are 45, and you got to respect your elders. So, I'm sorry, I'm older than he is. So. Well, there is the goat thing as well with Brady. Right. Oh, there's no question. He's just the greatest of all time. Oh, he is. There's no doubt. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll go ahead and move on from there because I really don't like him that much. But anyways, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with this. And, you know, there's not much to say here. Uh Pony boy, Carr's got a tough blow. How does it impact the team going forward in the short term, of course, and the long view? Yeah, I mean, short term is, is kind of where we're at. We haven't sat down and kind of discussed timetables or, or where it's going to go from from here. But um, unfortunate, no doubt. I mean, we've dealt with some adversity this season, and um, you know, I thought like the Chargers game. We really had a, a, a pretty good rhythm um, with Kyler. I thought he was feeling comfortable, and unfortunately, you know, we aren't going to be able to finish, you know, 
building off that momentum, which is something we were both looking forward to. You know, before you say anything, I just want to say is I, I really do think that this has been one of those years where the stack of cards has just been dealt and you got a crappy hand. Uh, honestly, with the cards, go ahead, Tony Boy. Yeah, no, um, you know, in regard to Kyler Murray right here, um, it's awful that he blew his knee out, of course. And you could see it immediately because Matthew Judon, the Patriots player, was standing over him when he was on the ground. He wasn't standing over him trying to menace him in any way, shape, or form. He actually was the guy who waved towards the Cardinals bench and let them know, uh, this guy is in trouble over here, you know? And whenever you see the opposing player, when the guy is still on the ground and just hit the ground, whenever you see the opposing team's player waving your guys onto the field, um, you know it's bad, and that's what it was. Can I just say this quickly, though? Um, you guys know me. I am an optimist. I'm a positive person by nature. You, you don't get that way unless you live on a dead-end street that emptied into a gravel pit. <laughs> you had to be positive. Um, but I, I think um, it's horrible this has happened to Kyler, but I think um, it could actually be beneficial to him in the long run where he just looks at everything to do with the game of football and his place in the game of football and how he might actually benefit from this, how he might get better from this, what he needs to do to get better as a quarterback in the National Football League, fall in love maybe with the game all over again. Um, Cinderella, of course, a legendary rock band, hair band. Cinderella said, don't know what you got till it's gone. And, you know, Kyler has experienced nothing but success after success after success on the football field. Came in, Offensive Rookie of the Year, second year Pro Bowl, third year Pro Bowl. This was the first year he took a step back um, and did not produce his lowest quarterback rating of his NFL career this year. I'm just wondering if, in fact, this time in space, this separation from the game and this serious injury might actually say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to relearn this game all over again. We'll see. And that is a seriously optimistic approach and makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, and by the way, Cinderella, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, Terry, let's go ahead and go to you. And uh, this was a happier moment for Pat Fairman from 10 yards out. He beat Kyle Hamilton. Oh, the move is loose. That's right. On an in route, crosses the end zone in between a couple of guys over there. I got to tell you, that window was so small, Billy. He just drilled that ball in there, did the Trubisky. He put that baby right on the spot. Man, that was a great throw and a great catch by Mitch Trubisky throwing it to the Friar Muth. My goodness. The Muth is Luth. <laughs> you know, Pat Friar Muth, I've said it before, I'll say it again. When you talk about the best tight ends in the league, his name's going to pop up in that conversation. The kid is uh, excellent from Penn State, second year. Um, he has really come on, and his blocking has gotten so much better as he's uh, you know been here in his second year. Uh, his route running, his his route running IQ is is really amazing. His ability to read the coverages, 
He reads coverages kind of like a slot receiver does for a quarterback. You read those safeties. You know, you read the windows underneath and zone coverage, those sorts of things. And he's just really terrific at it. And, you know, I get a little excited. Plus, he's a co-host on a show we do uh, on Tuesday nights that, you know, we well, did the, the other picture, night. The picture I showed you. Now, did Franklin Hurst show up because Pat's also a Penn State alum? Well, um, he was actually there earlier doing some business. But I, I got a feeling that was that Penn State connection that brought him back, you know. And uh, he sat in on it, and, and and it was great because the man's just a legend beyond all. So, to, yeah, you know. So, to, let me just ask Craig this right here, Derry. What what was that like to see Franco? When's the last time you saw Franco Harris? I mean, well, I've seen him at various functions. Okay. You know, the, the Steeler functions, you know, and so I don't know, did, I, did I share a story about when he went over 11,000 yards and they stopped the game? Okay. Go ahead. All right. Well, at Three Rivers one time, he went over either 11,000 or 12,000 yards. I can't remember which it was, but it was a flow 36. Flow 36, I'm out on the on search and destroy with Franco right on my back. He's always pushing me. You know, he's always, you know, come on, hey, you know, faster. So we go screaming around the corner and we cr- end up crashing out of bounds and he, they, he goes over the eleven or 12,000 yards. They stop the game. They give a game ball to him. He goes to the sidelines. He gives it to Tony Parisi, uh, you know, to hold on to. I'm in the huddle. He comes back to the huddle, and I'm in the huddle. I'm like, he, he, he. You know, I mean, just suck and win big time. And he looks at me. He goes, you fat pig. He says, <laughs> he says, I ran, what are you so tired from? I ran as far as you did. And I looked at him. I go, because I'm a fat pig. <laughs> 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 that head now has no tooth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so whenever, whenever you're around Franco, is it just the teammate thing takes over again, Craig? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, it, it's You know how it is, guys. Yeah. You see one of your teammates that you've, you've shed a little blood, sweat, and tears with, the good times, the bad times, uh, in between times. And then um, you see each other years down the road, and it's like yesterday. You're like, just yeah. like. You know, you you never left. It was just, it's outstanding. You know, quickly, I'll say this. I remember being, after you retired, Derry, and, of course, we had an office in the same building as Franco did, and he sold us fat-free donuts. But we used to go up there and raid him because he always had samples all over yep. the office, and we would go ahead and eat them. One of my favorite things, because those donuts are good, man. Maybe that's why there's that giant eagle there, huh, uh, doing <laughs> some business. But... And that's uh, my brother is going to bring us again to another conclusion, episode 14. Uh, I'm still thinking of a title for this, but let me ask you this question. This is really deep before we leave. And that question is, who would be victorious in a battle? Or would you say who's the baddest dude? Will that be Subo Derry? All oh, pro no. commando oh, pony no, boy or Wolfman oh. <laughs> Jack Soda Pop. Who would be the toughest? <laughs> that is such a bad visual. Oh my goodness. Okay. First fair, of dude. all, first fair. of all, Soda Pop, you do have a knife in your hand. <laughs> okay. So that but if well. you notice, I'm like in my forties there. So I mean I'm a little yeah. older. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, Craig sitting there, what what is that called again, Craig? The diaper Mawashi. you're wearing? It's a a Mawashi. Mawashi. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, Milwashi. That is one of the greatest. I'm just so glad you got that. We need to tweet that out on social media right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
the, the thing I do remember about that, that was taken at the world's strongest man, uh, you know, years ago, way years ago. Um, but and I'll you never competed in that twice. What's that? You competed in that twice. No, just world's strongest man, then the NFL strongest. Ah, man. Those okay. are the two contests. But I'll, I'll say this. We had these big sweatsuits, and you got the Mawashi. When I took my sweatsuit off, Hoopy just about passed out in the stands. <laughs> and yeah. speaking of, we love you, Hoopy. Love you. Sure love you guys. Thank you so much. Episode 14, Who's the Baddest? <laughs>